Hello and welcome to Shelf Impactors. Uh, in the fourth episode of this season, Lisa and I pick up on another subject area that's becoming a real game changer in the brand marketing arena, and that's the mind-bending world of fintech or financial technology and how it's helping brands become more consumer-centric. The world of fintech is vast, but uh, we chose to zone in on three areas that we thought would be interesting to chat about. The first one was data, the new currency, and how the likes of Amazon, the data mining experts, are getting to know us even better than we know ourselves. The second is easy checkout, and how biometric payments may very well become the standard form for transactions. And the third one is the new faces of finance, and this is the rise of using celebrity endorsers to market financial products and services. Good morning and good afternoon, Lisa. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? We've switched time zones this time. It is your night and my morning. We have. So what are we? Uh, um, Tuesday evening here, and it's what just gone half past nine, and you are. It's Wednesday morning at eight thirty. There we go. Look at that. Positively global. Fantastic. <laughs> so, Lisa, we this is great because we've actually we're doing a podcast in the same not only the same year but almost the same month. Within <laughs> yeah. a few days, which is fantastic. Um, so, at least, so since we last spoke, what has been going on in your life? Anything interesting? No more bushfires. We're free of bushfires. We've ha- had a few storms, and everything is good. I've wrapped up a couple of big projects recently in the protein space, and also the chicken um, or poultry-based um, project that I was working on. Um, but otherwise, like it was only a few weeks ago that we spoke, so I don't have any huge news or anything like that. How about you? Have you been busy? Very busy. Um, again, busy uh, cracking on with sort of the contract work that I've been working in uh, in various agencies in London. Um, project wise, it is uh, it's been relatively quiet. So I've been doing a lot of sort of promotional work for the agency, sort of working on case studies and their website, um, and just working on. A, a little bit on the subject that we're going to discuss today, uh, which I'll let the cat out of the bag. It's fintech, which we'll go into a little bit more detail shortly. But um, a few sort of trend subjects Every, around everyone's there. Everyone's now switching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, it's it's, it's still keeping very busy. Um, our seven-month-old baby is growing massively and very quickly, and is extremely cute. Um, um, so yeah, hands are full with. Uh, life and at work um yeah so it's all good at least just going back a little bit the bushfires obviously were a serious issue when we last spoke and there was sort of a hint that it might start to rain shortly so since we last spoke it has rained heavily all the bushfires are out am i right all the bushfires are officially out and we had a big spate of flooding if it's not one thing it's another right so we had a lot of flooding and slowly the country is starting to rebuild a little bit um, it's been taken on by, as the rest of the world, this new coronavirus. So there's um, people are actually encouraged to travel and stay in Australia a lot more. So, but no, all the bushfires are out, the rain dancing worked. But, and it's just a case of rebuilding. Australia is rebuilding right now and it's going to take us a little while to do that. Um, but you've had snow and storms and all sorts of things over in the UK that have been affecting my football viewing. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, you're right. It's um, We've got... 
not too much in, down the southeast, but it's been definitely there's, a, there's been two storms. We've had Storm Kiara and Storm Dennis recently, uh, both of which have sort of caused a little bit of havoc. Moving forward, Lise. Um, so today's subject for discussion is, as we said before, fintech. Now, I I I will hold my hand up here and say this is a, an area that I'm not hugely knowledgeable knowledgeable on. It's a subject that I know. Um, if you talk about investing. Um, investing money anywhere, people start waffling on about fintech. So in terms of understanding of what fintech is, I have Googled uh, what fintech actually means. And by definition, from my understanding now, is fintech is the technology and innovation that aims to compete. Oh my God, I can't read. Let me read this again. Fintech is a technology and innovation that aims to compete with traditional financial methods in delivery of financial services. It's an emerging industry that uses technology to improve activities in finance. Uh, and I think that like, we should probably just explain where all this came from. So in the last podcast, we did some generic or just some general top line view trends. And then we found this, we started digging into it a bit more and found loads of different trends. And um, we'll explain to people that a trend is more, not just something that's cool and funky right now, but it's that it's an attitude or a behavior um, um, of, human of expectation fundamental human need want or desire so what they help us do is to kind of shape what people are buying into what um, shifts across the world and the planet are encouraging people to change their habits their what they want and their desires and then how that influences the world around us and innovation and so fintech in my view fintech is just financial technology I think all of these words and technical things, it's been around a long time. I mean, PayPal, for one thing, has been around a long time. And it's just, there's a lot, it's just that in, I would say in the past five or 10 years, there's been a lot more disruptors in the space. So we've seen a lot more in terms of crowdfunding. There's traditional banks have gone to online banks, blockchain, cryptocurrency, insurance, trading apps. I mean, I've never thought about looking into blockchain, cryptocurrency or share trading. Yeah. And I'm now, like, I, I don't claim to be anywhere near an expert, but I'm interested in it. It's got me into the space and different ways to invest or think about the future of investment. Mm. A really good documentary, I have to look it out so you can add it to the notes mm. that I watched recently. I think it's a Netflix documentary that's all about blockchain and cryptocurrency and why it's the future and why banks are terrified because of it. And they yeah. should be. Um, because it removes everything that we need them for. And I was reading a little bit when we started doing research for this particular podcast um, and how old style banks or what we would consider old style banks yeah. are starting to innovate. I mean, NatWest Bank is one of the ones that's introducing facial technology, I think, or it's trialing facial technology for yes, transactions. Mm. Well, it's facial recognition, but they also um, have something called, I think it's, hand recognition where it recognizes your hand so not so your fingerprint and your face are so you don't have to touch anything with your finger yeah um it just recognizes your hand and it uses something called computer vision and depth geometry so you literally walk past the machine and wave your hand towards it and that serves as your yeah. payment method um which i think is fascinating it's not available right now but it's something that netwest are working on and developing I think it's cool, really cool. And all this sort of stuff it's I find fascinating, how it's going to move it's forward. It's amazing, like, what they, what the kind of things that they're trying. And I've definitely been looking more in terms of user interface. And the one thing that I think at the minute in this fintech space is the thing I think lacks about it is the 
both the visual, because we're visual people, we've never mm. worked in the user interface or UX UI yeah. design. Um, but there's there's a functionality that comes from that, but it's yet to match perfectly with the visual attraction that comes from what we do. Mm-hmm. So I think at the minute they're still a bit disjointed. Things either work really well or they look really good. And I think there are a few that merge the two together a little bit, but I, I think there's leaps and bounds of working. It's this collaboration thing, again, putting the right types of designers together, I think can really innovate and get people buying into the space even more. Shall we launch into the first one? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So what we've done, we've got three um, trends, for want of a better word, to um, look into that are loosely based around the, the fintech world. They're micro trends. So they come from the macro trend of the rise in fintech. Um, and then these are kind of small micro trends that have spun off from that, I suppose. So the, the first one, um, which I sort of picked out the hat, really, um, was data. Um, data becoming the new currency. Um, and I, this I just love. I read an article the other day, which was um, by a chap called Leo Kellyan, um, and it sort of hit all the notes that we were sort of talking about. He is referring to Jeff Bezos and Amazon and trying to establish exactly what Amazon has become. He's very cleverly approached Amazon um, as part of a, sort of a, a program he was doing for dispatches or Panorama, I think it was and asked them to supply him with all the data that they have on him. So he and his family have um, had Alexa. Um, he asked, he, he, ordered, he ordered this data. Let me go back to what, what he discusses in his article here. So he sort of, he says the data is being captured by the likes of Amazon at such a staggering rate. Uh, buying habits through Amazon, uh, of what you watch on Amazon Prime, what you ask Alexa to do, um, playing music, order, you know, sort of cereal or even just turning the heating on via your hive for example so amazon are collecting all this data and they get to know you better than you probably know yourself which is really bloody scary and i think this is what we start to when we get scared about the rise of artificial intelligence this is where it's going to start to become quite complex there becomes a bit of a rebellion doesn't it so i just think like the more and more i mean data is is so valuable to companies. It's a way they can target their products. It's a way they can, the reason that you see those adverts pop up when you're looking online and you go, oh yeah, I was looking at that yesterday is because of that data. So they've stored and you know tracked everything about you without you knowing. And slowly you're building up a virtual database that is all about you, that you don't even know is about you. Um, and so com- there's a couple of really big companies that, um, that collect that data. Like I was reading yesterday, there are actually two big companies that collect that data. And then they sell that data on to other companies who want to know your data so they can advertise to you. It just becomes this whole paper chain, doesn't it? And there's, like you said, there's got to be that rebellion at the moment of people going, it's my data. Like, I don't want you to, not I don't want you to know because then it becomes a bit of a conspiracy. But um, how do you get people to trust you enough? to tell them about themselves, to tell you about themselves. If you're a new brand or a new company or a new service or something, how do you get people Mm. to trust you? But then that's not a bad thing. There's an argument to suggest that with Amazon, the likes of Amazon, for example, getting to know you and your habits and your routines. And it means that they can tailor your experience with their services. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I do think it's beneficial, but I'm also someone who... Like once once people have a habit, it becomes the hardest thing to change. So a lot of people have bad habits, 
and you what you what you're then doing is you're enforcing and encouraging the bad habits not just the good mm. ones there's this for and against because there's also some of the fintech spin-offs of things like um there's another fintech trend or area that's um carbon um carbon investing and so they track yes. when, when you buy something they track that you how sustainable it is or how carbon effective it is and they can then warn you you're kind of polluting the environment or you've spent this much this is damaging this is not damaging so it's it makes you more conscious so i think there's benefits in that that point of view that it can make you aware of things you didn't even know about yourself it's just how, it's how they use that data isn't it and this, we've seen it with Facebook earlier this year, people having to sign up to that. I don't want you to track my data. And a lot of people did. So yeah. companies are being forced to disclose how much data um, that they're taking from you. And I think that's a good idea. So this this guy, uh, the BBC chat, so I keep referring to it because it was a fascinating article. Um, what he, the, he it was a data subject access request, which anyone can do. Apparently, you can you can phone up Amazon and so let's say, can you please supply me with this, the information? And Amazon will do that. They'll disclose everything that they know about you. Um, so this this chat received hundreds of files as a response, um, and all it and he terms as mind bending detail. Um, so one of these databases contained transcripts of over thirty thousand interactions that he and his family have had with uh, Alexa and this included uh, audio clips ordering their stuff via Alexa and uh, he talks which is quite funny he refers to the fact that there are 48 requests of play uh, to play let it go which uh, was his daughter's infatuation with Disney's Frozen but these recordings are audio recordings that oh, he wow. sent, he sent <laughs> it's thousands of files and this included all this stuff um, and other stuff that he was sent across was data for his usage of his Kindle. So it includes every time you uh, tap the Kindle to turn a page, it records it. Every reading session and every book, and it's all recorded to the millisecond, uh, which, again, is dangerous because you, you don't know it's doing this. They are storing all that information in from you. Well, oh, he wow. talks about Jeff Bezos as well, um, talking about his, he has a customer obsession um, and his his firm's priority is to figure out what they want and what's important to them, important to them, and referring to the consumer. So his challenge was always never to build this big retail business. It was all about just building this data firm. And he later goes on to refer to his uh, data mining experts. And that's pretty much what his company does. And so all this information what can they do with the information where is it going to go and it's only going to grow i just it strikes the fear in me sometimes when you think about the scale in which uh, amazon have become and how many companies they've destroyed in the process of their growth i think but i think so many so many other companies are starting to innovate in that space now and again it's once you get people to trust you and what they're going to do with your data I mean, even when you're down to people like Apple is probably only companies with as much money as, as Amazon are going to probably challenge his face to start off with. So you've got people like Apple that are able to go in there and do things like the health track. I mean, the health tracking app that they've got, they can then sell that data on to offer you services and things that might actually benefit you from a well-being point of view. So there's for and against. Like, I think it's exciting in that they can then develop 
often offer services to actually help people be more aware of the world around them and their own well-being and stuff or even take precautions from a health point of view like how many people now use the app and compete with their mates onto how many thousands of steps you do each day and and so there are there are exciting things that actually connect people together even though it's an online technology world um, but yeah, obviously, there's the you've got to win people over. You've got to get people to trust you. We were looking not too long ago in the vitamin category, uh, how to develop an app where it's linked to Apple technology, and it uses all of that data to, to, to suggest to you and put together a personalised package of what vitamins you need and how that changes day to day based on your needs. So it might say, well. I, you are someone who is under a lot of stress at the moment or you're not sleeping very well because you've got a sleep app, we can suggest to you this vitamin. But ultimately, people are suspicious because it's trying to sell them something. Well, we're supplying this data for free, aren't we? At the moment, there's no real regulations. I've got a um, Garmin watch on which records my heartbeats and probably other. it's, a, it's attached to um, a heart rate monitor as well, which I use when I'm exercising. So all that information is stored in a sort of database somewhere because I record it and I look at it. How that information is going to be used, I don't charge for it. I'm, I'm not paying anyone to sort of store the information and use it for anything else. But at some point, someone is going to use that and analyse it and use it for something. How it's going to be used, I don't know yet, but it's going to be used. Is there some way that this is going to be regulated to the point where we will charge to supply them with this information? Or we can say you're not allowed to use it, a bit like GDPR, for example, and people sending you junk emails. Can we stop people using our data that we're producing? Because we're producing data all the time. We are, and it's a bit like having a conversation, isn't it? What, the information you give away, it's said then, like it's done, and so therefore any information that you import through data, you've done, you've said it. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the the complexity of that data as well, like it just gets deeper and deeper and it's really hard to regulate and manage and maintain it. But bring, bringing it back to the likes of Amazon, for example, and Jeff Bezos' company, um, I think what we're suggesting is that people love the convenience of Amazon and the company has obviously prospered by the fact that they've been gathering all your information and data and uh, anticipating your wants. I guess from now on, now on we, we can choose what happens with Amazon. Do we choose to sort of block the fact that they can access this data or do we think, you know what, they do make our lives easier. Let's just allow this to keep going. And they can also, they can also bring us innovation and stuff as well. You know, like it's the companies like Amazon that can, yeah, they can sort of say, look, based on your, your path and your thinking and what you buy into or what you're telling us about yourself, you might like this. And it actually might be something that benefits you. It might, they might even unearth, I think where we start to trust them more is when they unearth things that either save us money or save us time or enhance our lives rather than just selling us things. No harm has come from the data so far with certainly the likes of Amazon that we've supplied them with. Um, you know, you think about the speed in which you receive products, I mean, as a consumer, from a consumer's perspective, it's great. At the moment, we just don't know how it's going to, how where it where it's going to go beyond that point. So, Liz, I think so. That's data, the new currency. What I don't want to do is drag it out too much. Like I said before, I don't feel like I'm too too knowledgeable on that one. We can we can address it again in in a few months' time because I'm sure that as as we sort of start to learn more about it and it becomes more of a sort of more a bigger part of our lives. And even some of the clients you're probably working with, um, we'll probably learn a bit more. Um, okay, the second one we were going to talk about was 
I think we've framed it as the easy checkout. Yeah, so this is more about the um, things like PayPal, things like Afterpay. Just to make it, you don't have to get your bank card and your wallet and your cash out anymore, I suppose, is the easy, um, yeah. is the easy is, way to Cash used to be king no longer. No, no, no. Yeah, definitely. And like how many people now, like I used to be a sucker for someone who I would still take a card out with me, but now you can even have your cards on your phone. You yeah. can, I mean, they're looking at a lot of, a lot of the easy checkout is now biometrics. We just spoke briefly about yeah. NatWest and the biometric fingerprint card. Um, and just things like that are probably the even more innovations in this space. But when it comes to things like, I mean, PayPal's been around a long time now. There's also proof, and if you read some of the statistics, people are statistically more likely to buy something if there's no physical money involved. Yeah. So it actually it actually drives sales because we've all been that oh, if it's on a card, it doesn't count kind of yeah. person. Do you, Do you think cash is going to die out? Then the actual sort of the concept of handing over notes because I had a good discussion the other day with my ironically my mum about checks and she said I'll, I'll write them a check so we were talking about paying a I think a friend of hers yeah and I said mum you still use checks I didn't I wouldn't I haven't uh, received a check in years my da- it's of a certain generation that still use checks it is and my yeah my dad is exactly the same and to a degree mm. to my like my mum she, she would never use a check and she would always, you know, she just touches and taps her card, but she is someone to get yeah. a set amount of cash out a week. And that is, and, and it's more of that conscious spending. Yeah, so, so you actually can, you know, you can see that money going out of your hands and it's sort of almost like it's leaving your, if it's leaving your hand, you know it's, it's, it's been spent. Yeah. It also allows you to know and monitor, even though the apps on your phone tell you how much you've spent this week and what you've spent it on and all those kind of things. Mm. Well, I know that mine does. Like it will tell me like you spent so much on groceries or you spent so much on coffee and things like that now. Mm. But but I do, st- I think, but again, like we've just said that our mums and dads, like that's, that's a generation and eventually that generation yeah. will die out and our generation will come in and probably the ones after us will be the ones tapping their fingerprints or waving their hands to pay for things. So I think it just becomes more about what you get used to. So if you've never used a check or you've never used cash before, then that's that's normal. You and the right. There are other advantages, I think. The other, the, I'd say advantages or disadvantages. It depends on how you look at it. For using cash, things that are tr- any transfers which are let's call it digital, it's assessed. And again, taking us back to our last subject, the data is gathered. Hard cash, money can move around uh, without it being tracked. Yet yeah. digitally, you, people can sort of trace where money's going and where it's come from. Yet yeah. with hard cash, it's far more difficult. And so there's a certain aspect which it does make things a little bit, let's say, safer from a, a business environment. Um, but the other advantages of, obviously, cash are it's non-traceable. And advantage, yeah. disadvantage, I don't know. That's a valuable point, and that actually taps back into, I mean, the whole reason that people like blockchain is the, and cryptocurrency is the anonymity of it. There's no one set mm. person in charge of it, and that's the thing with cash. Once you take it out of the bank, it's yours and it's ownable, yeah. and that's the thing with blockchain and crypto is that no one person or like a bank or whatever, no one owns it, um, so yeah. therefore it becomes about peer-to-peer sharing, which is effectively what cash is. If you hand someone cash, that's peer-to-peer trading, so on a on an old style platform that's that's peer-to-peer and people rather here you go here's your cash there's no third party a bank acts yeah. as a third party um and crypto is very much like you give your or you give your data or your chips to someone else peer-to-peer 
rather than having that mm. secondary medium in there. So there's there's more risks, I suppose, because like you say, there's nothing tracking it. With cash, there's no one tracking it. If you give it to someone, there's no proof that you've given it to someone unless you've recorded it or whatever. Yeah, well, those cash in hand jobs will uh, be dying out now. Uh, yeah, exactly. You can't do well, cash in hand with a biometric payment. No, but it will all be peer-to-peer. So you can have a barcode on your phone that pays someone else now. It mm. doesn't have to be tracked by any third party. And where there are worries about that that kind of what it does do is innovate for apps we were just saying oh, there's nothing to track it there's nothing to track what you're spending if you don't get cash out and you know that it's gone in a week there are now yeah. a huge raise um, raising a fintech society of apps that track your spending and make you more conscious yeah. consumer so where you die out with one source and old style banks there's other opportunities in fintech for people to go let's develop something that allows people to know if they're spending too much on coffee that allows people to know we spoke a little bit earlier about this i think it's money good is the company that does it that helps you track how um, sustainable your purchases are um, and how ethical the stores are that you shop in so i think it, it, it closes some doors but it opens others yeah that particular example actually is i found that quite amusing because i think um, it may have been the same article that I read as well, but I think it was talking about that carbon carbon payment. It actually stops money coming going out your account as soon yeah. as you reach a certain point where it's assessed, hang on a minute, you're making unethical yeah. purchases. Yeah, a bit of a scare tactic involved there, isn't there? I read that one, The Future Proof of Finance, and it's um, Miss Gunnar Lovelace, the founder of Good Money. It's important that we empower people to transform their relationship with money and to take responsibility for the decisions they make every day. But what you might get then is a backlash of people going like, someone else is controlling me. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it, that it, sounds it, to me like a vegan trying to tell me to not eat meat. <laughs> so, so I like meat. Stop it. <laughs> but it yeah, so there's, that, there's always that. You'll always have those different target markets. I mean, it's good that it consciously tells you like your carbon footprint. Like I think that's yeah. a really good incentive to go. As a government, we're all committed. We're all bashing on here about the government changing the climate change laws well if you could do something to say you're already doing your bit yeah. like, i think there's there's a benefit to it but yeah like there's a rebel in me that says you're telling me something in a way i have to be i want to be the opposite so it's it's yeah, a fi- it's a really fine line isn't it of how much control they're trying to give you control but in a way they're taking a little bit of it but ethical bank that was their good money of the ethical banking brand aren't they at the moment and then one that I did also think was quite interesting, um, more about this and biometric payments and things like that and different payment currencies, is that it actually makes it more borderless. So especially with you in the throes of Brexit right now, but what it does is it makes, if you're paying different countries, different continents, how long ago was it that when you paid someone in a different currency, they would charge you extra for paying in a different yeah. currency? And what these pay waves allow you to do is kind of annul that fee i suppose that transaction fee because the it doesn't really cost them anything to convert it to another currency as long as the conversion rate is the same so there's some really good apps and people out there to try and do away with those kind of borders um in the way that you pay for things i think there's an, a uk app um called finality um that's all about one world and one currency so it has flat currencies for any platform so that's things like that have been really good um it's finality but it's spelt without the i so it's ethnality. So do you, do you, would you anticipate that multiple currencies across the world would be minimalized? And by that, I mean, would we get rid of currencies entirely and just have one payment method, which happens to be digital? Do, do you see it going that way in some aspect? 
That's interesting, isn't it? That one. Um, it's just a scary thought because people people make an awful lot of money uh, on the foreign exchange, and the thought of that not being there would cripple them. Yeah, and um, well, look with the rising blockchain, like people are using block blockchain to pay for things rather than money. But at some point, it all comes down to numbers, doesn't it? So oh, it does yeah. I don't think we'll ever, now that people are doing things like Brexit and wanting to separate countries, I don't see there being one flat currency. But I think if there's definitely easier ways now to trade in all those different currencies. I mean, like years ago, like my I, my mom, because she's traveling now, she's like, oh, do I need to get some Hong Kong dollars because I'm there at the airport? And like trying to explain to her that, like, honestly, it's fine. Just do it on your credit card or whatever. But her credit card that she has charges her an awful lot of money for using a different currency. Like, why should that why should that still be an issue that when you travel to a different country, you have to get different bits of money? But, you know, so also as well, bear in mind that some countries are less advanced, like we're quite advanced in England, in Australia, in America and in Europe and things like that. But there are other countries that only deal in cash. Well, I think also we we touched it before about generations. Certain generations are used to banking in a certain way and bank with traditional banks. Yet, I think we is we are probably of a generation now which we're happy to transfer our money to the challenger banks who do allow us to be a bit more flexible with the way in which we make payments. And if we're traveling, um, you know, put money onto a travel card almost, um, and you use yeah. it like a travel credit card. I can't. Is it Monzo that do that? Monzo is one of the first um, the first fintech banks that have done really well. And I think we've mentioned, we mentioned them about a year ago in a podcast. And I, I think they're still doing really well in this space. And that's when we move to the next trend. I think that's an interesting one to say who's actually going to stick around. And we're probably a little bit more open to it because we're creative people. We'll go, well, I'll give it a go. There's so many, there's quite a few new, new banks popped up over here in Australia recently. There's Vault Bank. There's Tyro banking. So there's quite a lot of these different fintech platforms. And it's just a matter of which ones are people going to buy into that are going to still be around. Well, do you want to move on to that, Lise? Do you want to, so, so as far as easy checkouts go, I think with the biometric payments, we know is something we know is going to develop and only improve over time. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, to see with our fingerprints and stuff. I've, I use an office, a shared workspace sometimes to work in and they have fingerprint technology to get in and out the building but for the past for the past two days I've not been able to get in with my fingerprint and they tested like they've they've re- reprinted it now on their machines but I only have 32 percent fingerprint oh tracking and apparently most most people have like pressing 90. hard enough or has so, it got sweaty fingers what is it no uh, apparently no apparently I just have really oh faint fingerprint so I should take up an occupation. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> only thirty odd percent of my fingerprints actually picks up because I've got that's really amazing. You know what? At least that data is being stored somewhere, <laughs> and someone's going to use that to their advantage. It probably point. is. That's probably why they do it. They're like, yeah, it's really yeah, exactly, fake. Just print exactly. More. <laughs> They're using your fingerprint for other means. The, the, the third trend that we're going to, we've sort of we've selected is the new faces of finance. And this one, this was the one that when we started, because when you said to me, let's talk about, let's do these ones, let's do these trends. And I went, oh, they're yeah. finance, which is not my zone. And it's not necessarily something that, like, I'm interested in it, but it doesn't excite me. And then I started started reading more into it. And so the new faces of finances deals with the more popular culture side of it. And then when I started to dig into it and think more about it, like, it actually did get me quite excited. Um, and even looking into some of the, because it, it's the one that we've pulled out for the example is it's all about making the financial or 
um, financial technology cool, I suppose, to make people um, interested in it. And definitely, yeah, millennials, now that we've got Generation Z's. Yeah, old school. Like we grew up and went, oh, like banking is boring. Shares, I don't know anything about shares. I don't want to know about shares. And yet, within the last, uh, definitely for me, within the last five years, I've started to become more interested in blockchain, in crypto, in shares. And I never thought I would ever care about those kind of things. And it excites me more than things like old school. People tell you you should invest in property. And now we want to do crowdfunding and things. There's crowdfunding for property. So there's so many different ways that the world. Ha and, and again, it's down to that consumer um, shift. Like people don't have the people don't have the money to buy a whole house themselves. So through crowdfunding, perhaps there's another way they can do it. So it's it's about people having to shift. Trends help us aware of like the, sh the shift in society and what we need and what we have are changing. So we have to adapt to it. And so the finance has to embrace the fact that you've got to make people excited about it because there's so much information out there. You've got to grab their attention. And so this one um, that we actually looked at with Snoop Dogg as the face of Klarna, Swedish online payments company, was actually quite fascinating. And the way they've got this whole advertising campaign about making shopping smooth. So they're, a, they're just a payment app, I suppose. They make it easier when you're going into stores. But people jumped on it because it's got Snoop Dogg as their ambassador. The advertising of it is really cool. I mean, it becomes a bit more of a conversation, so it starts to talk to people. I mean, that was it was actually it was actually launched in March last year. And what was the other bank it is? You mentioned one just before as well with uh, Will I Am. It is. It is Atom Bank, which is a UK bank, and they're using Will I Am as their company, their strategic board advisor. And um, so he's become like an ambassador for the brand. And I know that this is the one that actually got me questioning a bit. I know probably in the UK, Will I Am is. I mean, he's on so many different TV channels. He's on The Voice. He's the face of so many things. And he's an incredibly smart guy, actually. But I do wonder if just because something is popular, and we've seen it a lot, there's a lot of influencer marketing and things at the moment, does it, does it give you a longevity? Is there a certain lifespan on that brand based on how popular the person that your ambassador is? Or does it become like a Chanel type brand? Because Chanel's always had brand ambassadors that are famous, that are in the media, and it's still going. It's It was set up with a really good foundation um, by Coco Chanel, and, and it's it's kept that. And it's been very specific about who it picks as its ambassadors. Yeah, it's a hard one to pick, isn't it? I think that a brand ambassador don't hang around forever, at least very rarely. So for banks to do it, I'm trying to think now off the top of my head of banks that have done it in the past, traditional banks, I think the things that we were, the things that I remember is more the advertising for the banks years ago, and I know there was always, um, you know, the Lloyd's Bank with the black horse and stuff like that. But again, it was never cool, was it? It was never, it would never grab your attention. Um, most there's an influx of things right now. We spoke at um, just before this about a couple of the ones that um, a good friend of mine has a brand agency that specialises quite a lot in fintech type branding and they've done a couple of projects recently for 8400 and tyro and they both look visually very different they don't have brand ambassadors but i buy into one more than the other based on how it looks more than the functionality of it and i think just at the end of the day just like never mind the actual ambassadors and snoop dogg is really good but it's it's a branding exercise right it's about how does it get us to buy into it and these companies are using snoop dogg or will i am as brand ambassadors it's about branding 
Like that, that's the big game changer. It never, I think branding in, in banking used to be important, but I think it's even more so now and how it innovates and carries through for the future. Cause there's so many, it's like any challenge a startup. Like if you're new in the financial space, you've got to make your presence and connect with people. The other challenge, the other challenge I think the banks face at the moment is traditional banks. And when we traditional banks, certainly in the UK, I'm referring to the likes of uh, Lloyd's, HSBC, Halifax. These banks, people become loyal to these banks and they have stayed with them. They stay with them for decades sometimes. But now the people of a younger generation are well happy to flex and move between banks. I mean, I'm assuming possibly two, three two or three times um, in a short space at probably the same number of years. If that bank is offering a certain interest rate or a certain specific um, student loan deal or whatever, people will move. Yeah. And so you've got to, you can attract new customers quite quickly, but you can also lose them as quickly as, as well. Yet in the previous times, I've, I'm probably a bad example. I've banked with the same bank for decades. Um, thinking the thoughts of changing banks to me, I could do it. Um, and now I am looking at what else can the banks provide me with and what do they invest in? Is it sort of, are they investing in ethically, ethically, you know, friendly businesses, for example? You know, those are the sort of things you do start to think about rather than is it offer me just at the best interest rate or does it offer me the best, um, oh, crikey, how would, I, how would I have chosen my bank in the past? Probably... Did it give me free £10 to start up my first bank account? Done. I'll go with that one. It's, you always used to do it at school, didn't you? Like your school would enroll you in a bank account and they would help you get started and you get free pens and pencils. And then it became, it was actually, it used to be really hard to change banks. Like there used to be paperwork you had to fill in. And so to be honest, like I've still got, I'm similar in that I've got the same bank in the UK, but I've changed bank about three times in Australia in terms of a saving online app bank because there's so much innovation and they make it so easy for me to change. Um, and the same with like, there's so many, even from a credit card point of view or whatever, like I don't have um, too many credit cards, but I'm very much, if another bank is going to offer me more benefits or a better interest and things, they make it so much easier for you to change. Whereas years ago, like you used to, have to fill in so many paperwork. Yeah, you got um, penalised as well, didn't you? You got penalised. If you moved banks, you'd get fined. You'd lose a certain amount of money that uh, you weren't allowed to transfer from your bank account. Yeah, what? When you have barriers, it's going to stop you doing something. And it's the same with financial technology, isn't it? Like, it's going to stop me doing something. People spend more when they can just tap and go because you don't have the barrier of, I've got to get this out of my bag, I've got to pay for it with cash, or I've got to go to the bank, get the cash, pay for the item. And and you've got to remove those barriers because people don't have time and they just, like, it, it involves more thought processes. Whereas if someone says to you, join our bank, but the convenience now, the convenience of, of banks is previously, in order to see what you had in your bank account, you either had to go into the bank and say, please, can you give me a statement? Or you had to wait for your monthly statement to be sent. Now you can actually look at your bank account instantly and see, right, what's in it? You, you can be given warning. You can set yourself targets within your bank now. So listen, if I go over this certain amount, and now a lot of banks offer the service where you can actually section off amounts within your business your your personal account say right this is going to be used for um clothes this is going to be used for bills and whatever and it tells you when you're reaching the limits on those certain um barriers that you've set up so banks are becoming far more flexible now and the fact and so much easier more easy to use the thought of having to wait 
once a month to people you used to have you've just said before i guarantee you when you set your bank account up when you're at school they gave you a little book and in that book you wrote down every single <laughs> transaction everything that went in everything that went out and so you had to track it via that little yeah. book a little black book that you kept um so now it's just so much easier so again the benefits of these developments are great and all these new brands are thinking of new ways in which they can attract you and offer you a new service that some of the other brands aren't doing but you know they're, they're all catching up with one another and you know one of the one of the oldest school things um that is still is the uk government is still really backwards so recently i got based on our last conversation i got a check from them for some tax that I was due back. And then they asked me so, to submit all of my Australian bank statements as paper statements, which don't actually exist here in Australia. I've had to go and get them all printed out to send to them like my proof of income in Australia and things like that. So it's funny, isn't it? The most, the institutions that are the most old school are the ones that remain old school. You know, and it reminds me, and when you buy and sell a house, I'm pretty sure, and it certainly was happening a couple of years ago here in the UK, um, the solicitors will still request a fax to be sent to confirm with a certain <laughs> data. Who, who, sorry, I, mean, I want to swore there. Who uses fax machines nowadays? But yeah, it's unbelievable. Same, pe- but you know same people who use carrier, carrier pigeons, I think. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but faxes are being analog, that data isn't being tracked. I'm just saying, Jeff Bezos kind of got his hands, <laughs> get his hands on your fax data. All right, Lise, listen, I think we should round up there. We've uh, kicked off three trends, which is brilliant. Um, anything you want to add? Um, I don't think so. Like, I think it's been good to do something where all of our trends have been based around a finance-based um, form. And I think probably for the next one, we'll pick something that's a little bit more been known to us, like well-being. Or, to be honest, one thing that I've been itching for us to do for a while is the sustainability Um kind of thinking and where that is at the moment and where it's going across different channels and platforms so it'd be interesting to perhaps think oh, about absolutely. that for the next well you one. and i touch that on a daily basis with the, our work so um that'd be a really good one to we do to chat about we do and hopefully my microphone will have turned up as well hey. by the time we do the next yeah. one fantastic lise listen it's been lovely to speak uh, have a fantastic day and we shall catch up uh, in the coming weeks for podcast sustainability yeah, definitely. And, I, and I, will, I will follow up with an article as well on my LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Lisa Hastings or Instagram at Shoebox20. And I will follow up with some notes based on this podcast. Lise, love to speak. Have a fantastic day. Thanks, Mark. You too. Bye.